Welcome to episode 32 of the Off Kilter podcast. Today's episode is called Building Trust with Your Body and Finding Joy in Training. My guest today loves to throw things, not at people. She was a competitive athlete for over 10 years, and now she moves her body from a place of joy. She did her master's in leadership and works in people development. She is passionate about creating space for people to find their potential and self-lead so they can live big lives. Megan was a competitive hammer thrower, so she liked to throw hammers, uh, very big distances, and she was very good at it. And in today's episode, she shares her story as an athlete, her dream of going to the 2012 Olympics, and what happened when she didn't make it. We talk about being attached to an identity through sport and what happens when that is taken away from you. She shares how she had to find who she was outside of her sport and her journey to rebuild trust with her body after retiring. There is so much in this episode and I could talk to her for hours. Uh, She's a gem of a human. She's very fascinating. She's a great storyteller. And I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Okay, so let's do this. Episode 32 with Megan. This is the Off Kilter Podcast. It is about breaking rules, listening to your ovaries and coloring outside of the lines. Each week, We will connect and be in conversation about how to reignite your sexuality, feel powerfully graceful, and deeply connected to your body, all while navigating life. I am your teacher, Amy Kate Burr. (laughs) All right. Okay, let's do it. Let's, Let's start, okay? I'm on episode 32. So you are episode 32, Megan. Okay. All right. Let's do this. This is the Off Kilter podcast and it is episode 32. And I'm here with Megan uh, and she likes to throw things, (laughs) which is uh, just one thing about her that I love is that she loves to throw heavy things around. But I love so many things uh, about my guest today. She is um, compassionate. She is passionate. She's a great leader. Um, She's an athlete. She's just an amazing human who I love to talk to. uh, And I've had the privilege of knowing for four or five months now. uh, And we connected through Lululemon. Uh, and welcome. Welcome to episode 32. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. (laughs) So you're a very interesting human. I find you very fascinating. Um, and I remember one of our first conversations that we had, uh, was around your training and your story. And it resonated with me really well because of my training and my story. Uh, 
So I want to start there. Uh, could, could you tell people what you did just before your, um, I guess, retirement and your work in the people and leadership world now? Uh, and then we can backtrack that story. Yeah. Um, we should clarify for everyone that throwing things means that I was a hammer thrower. (laughs) (laughs) Not object, not other objects, but, um, or at people (laughs) hammer thrower, which is a track and field event. Um, and I was involved in that sport since 2008 and uh, prior to that, um, in college through shot put and discus and prior to that was a soccer player so my track and field career came out of soccer um, which really came from lifelong sport through childhood um, and yeah ended up having this amazing career as an aspiring elite athlete with olympic goals and um, was afforded the opportunity to like learn so much about myself and sport and um, just life yeah. Mm-hmm. So cool. And this is going to be a really cool story. Mm-hmm. So it started with soccer. And how old were you when you played soccer? Oh, gosh. I mean, I remember starting elite soccer. Yeah. Probably nine. Wow. Yeah. Um, and yeah, soccer was everything for me. Like it was a space for me to um, be myself and be good at something and be a part of a team and, um, just learn so much discipline and really how to lead myself, um, from a really young age. And on the flip side of that, I think like the negative of being so invested in elite youth sport was, it's also where I found a lot of my worth and my identity um, which really has emerged in the last couple of years of like needing to un- unwind and unravel all of that, all of that. Um, but I can pinpoint that to starting at a very young age. Yeah. And that you were in that world for so long, weren't you? So if you started soccer and you were, you know, nine and you started elite soccer and then you retired last year. Um, yeah. From like high performance sport. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a lot of my life. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of your life. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, from soccer, played basically all through my youth, took a few years off, and then decided that when I went to college, like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to play play NCAA soccer? Um, and really hadn't been training where I should have been training. Um, but just decided to reach out to the coach of the college that I went to. So I went to a school in Michigan called Calvin college and reached out to the soccer coach and was like, Hey, I'm interested in playing on your team. Like I had no concept of like the level that I was stepping into. And um, he emailed me back. He's like, well, the team's already set, but um, we need a goalie. You don't, you you don't happen to have experience as a goalie. Do you? And I'm like, actually I do. (laughs) So really like talked myself up, you know, like, and it was just so cool when I look back of like this fearlessness of like, of course I can do it, like had that confidence. Um, So I just remember rolling into campus and joining this team and being so out of my league, like 
<laughs> what have I done? Um, but anyways, it started this tremendous journey. I only played soccer one, one year in college, but from that, um, I got recruited to throw on the track and field team, which um, the head coach at the time came up to me in the weight room one day and he's like, hey, you're really powerful. And what do you know about track and field? I was like, well, I sprinted in like eighth grade or like, you know, did high jump in eighth grade. He's like, no, no, no. How about throwing? Like, do you know how to throw? And I was like, I had no idea what chocolate or discus was and but was just so game to try. Um, but when I look back on that, just so cool of like how I felt this pull to reach out to the soccer coach and like really like assert myself of like, no, I'm going to be on your team and not knowing how that would like transpire into like this life, like lifelong sport um, endeavor. So yeah. yeah. And then from there, like ended up being on the track and field team for four years um, and did, did well. Um, but then from there emerged an opportunity to train with the Canadian national team. So got recruited out of college, moved to BC and started there. That was a whole other endeavor and a whole other journey. Yeah. <laughs> Which we will get into. Yeah. Yeah. So this like transition into like into track and field uh, and you stepped away from soccer mm -hmm. completely, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just had, had this feeling of like, nope, like that's done. That part of my life is done. Like I'm ready to like leap into something so unknown um, and fell in love with individual sport, like fell in love with owning my own success, um, having the autonomy to make decision and like, um, had the opportunity to be a part of an incredible team with incredible coaches during that time, but just loved, loved individual sport. And it lit me up in a way that like team sport never did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you remember or pinpoint like what you loved about it? Cause they're so different and both are amazing, but mm -hmm. coming from team sports into that, do you remember why you liked it so much? I think it was an opportunity to fully live into being myself. It just offered opportunity to learn more about myself. Um, this self mastery piece, which I've come to recognize is like such a value for me. And um yeah I mean I would say just yeah, yeah it gave, me, gave me the space to to pursue more self-discovery than had I remained in team sport yeah and because I think in team sport especially from such a young age there is the language and the focus is all around like the team yeah. And like how we work as a team and we function as a team and yeah, you do learn about yourself or your position that you're playing, but not to the depth of like, this is it. Like you're on your own here mm -hmm. when you, you know, whatever, you, whatever you're doing, you swing on the bar, you throw something, you you start at, you know, the start of a, a hundred meter sprint. It's like, it's just you. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I think there's like a, a rawness and a vulnerability in that because there's like no place to hide. <laughs> you know, sometimes on a team, if you're having a bad day or, you know, you can lean on them and to help. And that's like what the team's all about. But then you put yourself just out there by yourself and you can't, there's no one to lean on. <laughs> it's just you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, yeah, it gave me this opportunity to find my voice, you know, to ask for what I needed and champion myself probably for the first time in my life. Yeah. Um, and what I love about throwing specifically is it's like, it's you and the tape measure, you know, it's like your result is very clear every single day. Um, and it's so measurable. So there was a like a direct impact between how I was leading self and the result that I was able to create day to day. Yeah. Can you just explain a little bit about the throwing, like what hammer throwing is? Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So for those of you who don't know, hammer throwing, um, Olympic event, and it is the event where there's a heavy ball on a three-foot wire with a handle. You spin in a circle and you let it go and you throw it for distance. So um, your result is the distance that you throw. In competition, you get three throws in prelims and then the top eight or nine go to finals for three more throws. So in a competitive experience, you're literally, it's like a total of six seconds of effort. Is that bananas? That's crazy. Yeah. And so we've got six seconds of like actual effort, but okay, then what's ten. okay, maybe. 10. Let's say 10. And the, but what did your training look like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say in the span of, so I started throwing hammer in 2008 um, when I was living in Kamloops part of like the national training center there so that's where I started throwing hammer um and I retired in 2015 came back and then officially retired last summer but I would say in that span of 2007 to 20 or 2008 to 2019 I probably took I know I took over 100,000 throws um yeah so and for so many, so many of those years, it was, you know, two a days, so 10 sessions a week, training four hours a day. Um, maybe we would get two weeks off a year. Um, so it was just, it was full on for, say from 2008 to 2015, it was full on for that many years. And this was, you were at Kamloops the whole time at yeah. the training center. Okay. So you made the transition out of school Uh, where you started to explore track and field and this different world. And then you went to Kamloops, you went to the training center and you started to only throw. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I went there, basically the coach who was there recruited me to throw discus. Um, Okay. As a discus thrower, also way out of my league. I'm like, I roll into Kamloops and I'm like all of a sudden training with like the best female hammer throwers in Canada, um, a bunch of the top men, like just thrown into this high performance environment. And I had no business being there. Um, but such an opportunity to learn. And it was within a couple of months of like watching these top women throw hammer 
um, that I just was like, oh, that's what I need to be doing. And so I just, I said to my coach, I'm like, can I please try that? Like, I don't want to throw discus anymore. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so picked it up one day and honestly, it was like, felt so natural. Like it was crazy how much I had absorbed by just watching for so many months for like so many hours a day. And I picked it up and it was like, there was an effortlessness to it. And I knew like, that's what I needed to pursue. Yeah. Um, I just want to pull you on, uh, pull up on that thought that came into your mind about you ha- you felt like you had no business being there. Was that like a story that you were telling yourself that you just felt like an imposter? Well, you know, no, I think it's like a story now when I look back, I'm like, whoa, I was way overconfident, you know, like I think to yeah like I I had full confidence going in like this coach had recruited me he saw something in me man I probably thought I was like God's gift to this sport (laughs) and yeah like walked into like walked in with way too much ego and I will like fully acknowledge that but I think it is what like kept me afloat like it was this false sense of confidence that um no I can roll with these people Um, but looking back, I'm like, oh gosh, like I had no business, but I did, like I did have business being there. And I think like what the learning in it was like, you know, I, I arrived and automatically the goals became, I have to be an Olympian. I like have to get to this same level, um, which put a lot of pressure on me and actually paralyzed me completely to the whole journey of it because I had these expectations of, well, I've joined this group. If I just check all the boxes, I will become an Olympian. Like it just, in my mind, seems so easy, um, but not the case. <laughs> Was this like right at the start when you started there, this, this thought or this story that came into your mind around this result, like achieving, getting there, ticking all the boxes? Was this straight away that you fell into this, like, okay, I'm doing this, 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 and this, and this is where I'm going to go. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like you think like, oh man, like all these doors are opening up. I've always had this Olympic dream. Like this is it. Like this is my, like my shot. And, um, and not to say that wasn't a possible outcome. It certainly was a possible outcome. I think I just did not have the like self-leadership skills or the mental skills. I didn't have a strong enough foundation to actually get me to that place because everything became really accelerated. You know, like I moved and I started the event moves like in 2008. And like, I had these expectations that I would make the 2012 Olympic team, but to start a sport and become an Olympian or get to that level. Like I wish someone had sat me down of like, this is like a 10 to 15 year journey. This is not like a four year journey. Um, Because when I didn't make the Olympic team and like, didn't even come close really in 2012, it was so devastating. Like, you know, the stories of people, you know, Olympians like literally laying on their couch the year after the Olympics, because it's, you know, such fall into like such a depression because your identity is so wrapped up in it. I mean, I can totally relate. I remember laying on my couch through like, you know, July, August, September that year, just being completely devastated that 
everything I felt would happen didn't even come close to happening. But yet I had put all the work in. I had checked all the boxes. I had done everything perfectly. Yeah. Talk to me before we come back to that moment and, and, and like moving through that and, and like the reflection and the learning from that, what did those four years look like for you? Uh, training wise, uh, learning wise, development wise, struggle wise, like what went on in those four years as you were trying to tick off all the boxes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was certainly all in. Um, I'm the type of type of athlete that like if I'm gonna pursue something I'm like gonna be all in and I think one of my biggest strengths as a leader and an athlete and just as a human is my my self-discipline you know like this just relentless ability to do the monotonous thing every single day um but I would say in doing that my learning now as I reflect like you know I had an incredible coach um you know, who prescribed every program and there wasn't a lot of opportunity to find my voice in that environment. It was like, oh, I just need to do as all these really great people are saying I need to do. Um, and then doing that really became disconnected with myself. So I think when I failed at this endeavor, the reason why I became depressed and anxious was because I was completely, um, detached from who Megan was like I didn't even know anymore and it was it was such a confusing time and I physically became detached from myself like didn't know what was good for my body anymore like my body was rebelling so much like but I I couldn't acknowledge the overtraining I couldn't possibly be overtraining you know like that whole narrative of I just got to keep grinding and but yeah, my results were like declining like crazy. Um, and then just so like emotionally and spiritually, like didn't have any foundation or any grounding for even what I was doing anymore. You know, there was no strong why, there was no purpose. There was, I just had to do it. Like there was an enormous pressure. Um, it really became a dumpster fire, to be honest. <laughs> I love that. I love that. A dumpster fire. I've never, I've never heard of that before. (laughs) I crashed and burned hard, you know, and it will always represent one of the biggest failures of my life. But I can say like fully confident, like the beauty that transpired out of that has been such a gift. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that story and that piece around the attachment and basing your worth on your sport or your throw or you know how far you can throw it or it resonates and I think I remember in one of some of our first conversations around this and around the sport and just like a learning that you had from it was this and it resonated so well because that is what happened in Olympic weightlifting with me. Mm. I was weak and broken. And then I found this sport that I was really good at. You know, I was never the girl that could lift the heaviest or the most weight because some of the girls were a lot bigger and stronger than me. Um, But I was always the prettiest lifter, the one that everyone would say, look at her beautiful technique. And then I just attached 
who I was because I had lost that to the bar, how well I lifted, how much I lifted, how well my training sessions went, even to the point of, I remember my training journal would have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Like how I wrote in it. If it wasn't, I would like rip the page out and rewrite it again because I was the girl that had the perfect training journal with the perfect training program that lifted perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it became my identity for so long. And then when something happens, like your body tells you, like you said, like you crash and you burn and your body just rebels against you. And it's like, it's saying like, no, that's when you go, okay, wow. Like this attachment is, it's so negative, <laughs> but like, you don't know who you are without mm-hmm. it. Um, can you talk to me how you worked through that? Because I, it's a, such a hard place to be in. You're just mm-hmm. like, whole, like shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. what? and like, because mine came through an injury. So like I could barely even like move freely, let alone train. And I dislocated my rib and it took me a good like six, seven months to even get back to touch a bar again. But then I was like, I don't like, you know, I just had this expectation that I would be where I was before the injury, which was kind of like my peak, but I wasn't. And then so like I had to go through that, like the the whole thing again, like trying to heal and recover. Could you talk to us about that journey for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I just remember this feeling of, it being like a very scary place to be in because it was like just this complete unraveling of everything and it really exposed the gaps in my own life you know more than just sport but just like expose um these weaknesses that had developed over time and I remember like in the four years leading up to 2012 like truly believing that I must become an Olympian for God to use me in this world. Like talk about an existential crisis, you know? (laughs) Talk about pressure. (laughs) That's like a very low glass ceiling. That's like (laughs) going to crack. (laughs) And just like so arrogant too, you know, like that, you know, God's purposes and plans rely on me figuring out this Olympic thing, but, um, just this, like such defining moment of, of my life of, okay, hold on. Like you are like loved and worthy and enough despite your titles, you know, despite your accolades. And, um, it was really like rumbling and wrestling with that truth. Like I knew it intellectually, but I did not know it in my heart because I had become so detached from my heart. (laughs) Um, and honestly, it took, it took years. Like it probably took from 2012 to 2014 of just being, you know, in the work of trying to unravel this, this truth and this identity that started probably when I was 10 years old, you know, on the soccer field and being celebrated for being a great player and, um, you know, craving affirmation and craving significance in this world and sport had always given that to me. And then to be in a place where like I did everything right 
and I checked all the boxes and yet sport didn't give me what I was like so desperately craving it it really like rerouted me of like okay I gotta find those things like within myself like I gotta find affirmation and significance within myself not through these external um things that I was grasping at yeah how did you even start (laughs) (laughs) were you still were you still throwing like yeah. after 2012 yeah. and finding out what you still went back to the sport. I did. Yeah. Um, I don't even honestly think I took time off. Like I think I was, but I was just like so sick. Like I was trying to like muster and push through training, but I, I shouldn't have been. Um, but it's all I knew, you know, like, What's even scarier is that when you've developed this rhythm and routine and consistency, and then you take that away, like I had no stability then. Um, And all I like knew was like, okay, I know I love to move my body and I know I love to push myself. Um, So it did provide some sort of stability, even though it was like, it was pointless. And in the perspective of, I wasn't growing as an athlete. I was just going through the motions because it was familiar. Just surviving. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say sick, was this like physically, like your body was unwell? Yeah, I would say, you know, like a physical and an emotional depression. Yeah. Um, You know, lost a lot of weight, was just like really like weak and lethargic, like had no, was just so lost. Um, and I think the overtraining factor, you know, like never really acknowledging that of, you know, what four years of like just this relentless pursuit had really done to my body. Um, and honestly, I didn't learn that like, because I kept going and my results didn't get any better. (laughs) Um, and in hindsight, you know, should have taken probably a year off and rediscovered my love for movement because that is like that's been such a joy now in this phase of life of like to be able to just rediscover like how my body loves to move and how it's my creative outlet and um like what a gift it is to experience that and like how awesomely we're made as human beings to be able to experience so much with our body yeah I think when you become a specialist um you can get very good at it whatever you're specializing in but it almost it takes the joy in the end away from the fact that you can move mm-hmm. and like we are generalists as humans you know we can move in so many ways and do so many things and learn so many different movement patterns but if you're a specialist for so long and you're just like grinding away for years and years and years mm-hmm. um it's hard like it's hard it's hard on the body it's hard on the mind especially when you feel like you're not getting where you want to be because mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. I'm specializing. I'm doing all the things. Why is it my body doing what I want it to do? And then you start comparing. Why can those people do it? Or why can those athletes do it? And yeah, and it gets very, it, it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and there are some athletes, you know, that can be in their sport for a really long time and they can be specialists, um, but 
the majority of us are generalists, like the body just can't withhold it. Uh, and this is what I'm finding with my work now around us always being treated like small men, like men, like training like men, the studies are on men, you know, our, our training programs are, you know, based on males because that's based on the science and like the female, we just, the female body and the female cycle just can't withstand it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at like a traditional training program and how they periodize it and how they like, we, we're just like, we are like gone through like multiple cycles then. And like, they're not being attuned to, or it's not, you know, the program's not being altered. And so we just keep ignoring the body. And then over time, that's Mm -hmm. when it, it speaks and it speaks loudly. Yeah. And I think if I were to, you know, go back, like take my knowledge that I have now of just paying way more attention to that. Um, when I look at how I was programmed, um, all the athletes in our training group were really programmed under the same philosophy. And when I compare like the training programs of like male and female athletes, like, yes, some differences, but not the nuances that really, um, probably should be taken into account, um, for women to really flourish, especially in a speed power sport where, you know, it is all about being strong and powerful and, um, hormones are a big deal. Um, (laughs) and I think I just, you know, I like, there was multiple seasons where like I completely lost my cycle for, you know, nine to 12 months at a time and just thought that was normal, you know, and like almost grateful, like, okay, good. I've like trained it out of me. Like now we can get down to business. Yeah. Now I can be more like a male (laughs) and I don't have this thing that's annoying. And so I can train harder and longer and more. And (laughs) but just became so flat. Like I literally was flatlined. Um and I just did not have the knowledge to even put language to that, you know, like it's not something that was ever talked about. And um now like having this time and space to like really mindfully like work with like the female cycle and like have a healthy cycle and you know what does sinking sinking training and that and like you know like you often talk about how does it become your superpower and like think there is so much like genius in that and so as I like enter this space of you know being retired and just pursuing movement for the love of movement, like really excited to explore that and then be able to share that with athletes that I work with. Yeah. Yeah. Finding, finding your why, Mm -hmm. like your, like a a different why or the why shifts. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause I remember my why before was, it was never about my weight or my shape or my size. Um, it was always just about the number or the outcome, mm-hmm. you know, how well I lifted. Uh, and I can even remember, you know, way from my gymnastics background and my dancing background, it was exactly the same. Um, not so much when I played a team sport that really, I'd never experienced that, but I found with all my individual sports, it was this, the result, the outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I left Olympic weightlifting, I felt really lost and you mentioned this a little bit before around like 
just like not knowing like who you were or not really knowing even how to move your body in like a different way mm-hmm. and not knowing what to do. Uh, yeah. And I was there for a year or so, just like not really wanting to like train or move, not really knowing how anymore. And I wasn't being led by my coach. And so then I, you know, and it's so funny because I had been doing it for so long. Like I'd been a coach for 10 years <laughs> and then you had been an athlete for 10 years, but you come away from being led to try and lead yourself. And you're like, how do I even do that? Mm-hmm. Totally. And it's such a, like a lonely place. And I remember feeling so paralyzed by, you know, giving myself permission of like, okay, you're going to take a month off and you're going to go hiking and you're going to go running and like, just like rediscovering um, things that like brought a lot of joy to me and I couldn't even do it. Like I was so indoctrinated to like, these are the activities you can do. And this is what you should not do if you want to be successful and alert, like my learning now of like just finding this joy in like running and more endurance based activities and just wonder of like, no, it doesn't have a great transfer to like speed power sport. But is there like an, a mental emotional component that like, could we have integrated into training in a really like healthy and holistic way um, that would have actually accelerated my career as an athlete? And maybe too, it's like, you know, acknowledging those things and like, just accepting that, okay, if that's where your joy and your happiness and where you feel most fulfilled, maybe actually becoming an Olympian isn't in line with your values. Like to have that conversation of like, you say you want this, but like, this is what it actually like, like, let's lay it out. And it's not right or wrong to like, want to pursue that. But is it actually aligned with the core, like your core being? And looking back, like, no, I just wanted the fame. (laughs) Like I just wanted to be significant, you know, and I like wanted, I thought that was like the, the be all end all for me of like become an Olympian, but no, like that, that would have not made me more fulfilled because I would have become so disconnected from who Megan is that it would have been a really deep hole to climb out of. Yeah even harder than the one that you started to to shift out of after 2012. So is that when you took your time off? Um, no. So 2012, I trained. So 2013, another very hard year. And then in 2014, I made the decision to switch coaches, um, and trained in that environment for 18 months. And honestly, it was a breath of fresh air and it was, it was just such a gift, you know, it felt like my redeeming season in a lot of ways of just like finding the joy again and finding new ways to train and listening to my body. Um, and yeah, then in 2015 decided for a multitude of reasons that I needed to just step away from sport 20, like 2016 and decided to be done. And in that time, I decided to pursue a master's degree in leadership, and I moved from Kamloops to Victoria, um, which was uh, just so incredible, like, to be my pursuit in a master's of leadership, like, 
always intrigued by leadership and what I had experienced in the sport world of just like, there has to be a better way, you know, there has to be a better way that, um, in the Canadian sports system that, uh, performance can be sustainable. Like I just kept seeing this like four year cycle of, you know, people getting fired and hired and like, here's money. No, I'm taking the money away. Like it just was like such a volatile situation to try and perform in that. I just was like people leading these organizations, like need more leadership skills. Like there's, there's a gap in leadership here. And so anyways, pursued this master's in leadership, which was such an incredible opportunity and learned so much from it. Um, but in that time, away so that was like 2016 2017 and then I decided in 2018 that I wanted to go back to throwing and just like try again with like this renewed mindset and like a healthier body and um did about 18 months or so of like back to full-on training while working full-time so I mean obviously it looked different but yeah such a gift as well like just like was able to like learn and um, feel things and be a part of a really supportive training group and do it for me. Like it was just on my own terms. You know, I wasn't like accountable to anybody. Like I wasn't about, it wasn't about, about performance. It was about redeeming what had not gone well the first time. Yeah. Just taking, taking it that, that those learnings and that reflection and going into it just with a completely different why it sounds like that that, yeah um like um just seeing sport for really what it is you know it's gosh sport is meant to be fun it is a gift and (laughs) it is a space to like learn about yourself and be curious and be in relationship with other people and collaborate with the coach and like all these really good inherent things about sport and yet we see it so often it why does it turn into something so toxic um and i just feel so encouraged by like this like shift that's happening in canada in the high performance world of you know people taking leadership seriously and knowing that like leadership starts with self and i'm really excited to see how up-and-coming athletes um their outcome will be different, you know, and their experience will be different because we have healthy people leading the charge. Yeah. The, the, the coaches or the teachers are, and we've had this conversation before because there's a difference between coaching and teaching. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, your coach, a lot of the time they are just, they can teach. They're just teaching or telling. Yeah. They're writing the program. They're telling you what to do, but there's not a lot of coaching. And I was so grateful with my coach. He taught me like how to train. Like, what does that even mean? How do you self lead? How do you heal your heal yourself? How do you recover from an injury? Like what's, he taught me the process and the methods and through those, that's where like I learned so much about myself and um, yeah, leading myself and then helping me lead others in that space. But some of the time, or even a lot of the time, we're just being told, told what to do. And this is like my big thing with the fitness industry and is like, they just, they're telling you, 
Yeah. Uh, and I feel it's on us to know, to be like, okay, I need to self lead. Yeah. Like I need to learn about my body and like, why am I even doing this? Yeah. Like, what does this, what does this exercise mean? Yeah. Like, how do I feel when I do it? Because in the end, like we need to know how to like lead ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's more than just like the telling piece. Yeah, when I think about the essence of coaching too, it really is about creating space for people to discover their potential. Yeah. And of course, it's a balance, you know, you're always going to be flipping between like teaching and mentoring and coaching and, but those I think are the best lead, like sport leaders are these like people who can flip between these like different facets of like what's needed now. Um, and I think like removing the, the ego of it of like your your athlete's performance is like it's not about you like you are choosing to be a coach because you are wanting to create space for someone to have this experience of self-discovery and amazing experiences and opportunities because of what they're deciding to pursue yeah so when you went away and you studied and you did your leadership uh course what what are some of the things like some of the big things that you took away from that, that you're, that you're just like, wow. Like I had been an athlete for, you know, 10 years or more. And I like, didn't know this or I, I wasn't taught this or was there something or anything that you walked away and you're just like, okay, I have a tool. <laughs> yeah. It was the first chance for me to really reflect on who I wanted to be as a leader you know, what were those like inherent gifts that I had and like the strengths that I had, but really just to like sit with myself and self-reflect of like, okay, who, like, who am I as a leader? Um, who am I in relationship as a leader? Um, and this whole idea, which you and I can jam on it forever of just this idea of leading self. And it, like, that is the foundation. And if we're going to equip people with anything, it is how to lead themselves with a level of like excellence and mastery and um, discipline and just like really been like playing around with this idea of like I love you know I love creating epic experiences like I live for those like moments where like everything comes together and you're like oh amazing <laughs> like and like but how do you get them and it really is this like it's taking leaps of faith when you need to take a leap of faith, you know, like me saying yes to all these things that didn't make sense. Um, but also having like a really strong foundation of self-leadership where you're like in the daily habits and practices every single day. And there's an intensity to that um, because that's where like learning and growth comes. Yeah. So do you think that you learned a lot about leading self through your sport I think it gave me all these skills. And then I think being in a, a leadership program, it like gave me language. Okay. Um, and it gave me ideas of like how to teach that and how to share that with other people. Cause I like, I had it, it was all within me, but it, this just gave me space to like actually share and um, get it out of me. <laughs> yeah to like put it into practice. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the pieces were there. There were tools and resources, but going through that 
kind of gave you like that medium or that pathway to, and how to put it together, I guess, like where it fits in. And then, and then that helped you like that, that leading self piece. Yeah. So well, like, there's also a piece of like, you know, like the academic world, it like gives you theory yeah. um, behind, behind all these things that you know, and you're like, oh, there's actually people who have studied this. <laughs> um, and then tap the opportunity to like actually do research, you know, to like um, help an organization with a gap that they see um, and then be able to like do research and like hear the stories of the participants and then make like a recommendation of like, hey, like from my perspective and from what I've heard, like these are some really tangible ways you can actually shift your culture. Um, Which was like such a cool opportunity because I wasn't in the weeds of the organization. I could offer this like eagle eye view. Um, So it just gave me very practical skills that then I could like take into my workplace um, and be able to practice leading people and teams in a new way. Yeah, which brings us to now, like the present, what you do now and pulling on like your story around being an athlete and then going into that academic world and doing, you know, learning the theory and like being able to put the puzzle pieces together into now, like your passion is helping others lead themselves. (laughs) Supporting people in understanding their potential and purpose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, how, (laughs) okay. Because you said at the start, um, and it resonates with me really well. Like I've always been very disciplined, like very motivated. And I, and I know it comes from gymnastics because you had to be, yeah, I was like nine years old, the same as you. And I was training four or five days a week for a couple of hours. You know, you have to, that's when you learn those skills. Um, so say someone is like really struggling with this like leading self piece. Um, and you'll often hear it like as like, I'm just lazy, which to me is like such a surface thing. There's so much underneath that. How do you help a person learn to lead self? It's one of my biggest challenges. <laughs> leading people. <laughs> But the best challenge. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I think it really is giving people tools. Like when I think of my own story, you know, I started working um, really consistently with a coach outside of sport. um, And we basically worked together for a year. You know, every week we were in these conversations. And when it really came down to like, I like knew I'm like a really good at vision. Like I can like vision what I want in the future. I can set goals, but I like didn't actually ever feel empowered to build a pathway there. I just like saw this repeating pattern of my life of like, Hey, I have all these really huge goals, but I'm never actually achieving any of them. Now I'm like achieving little things along the way, but I'm never actually getting to the goal. Um, and just saw this gap of like, well, I don't actually have any idea how, and I'm not, creating a pathway for myself um, to even give myself a shot. And that pathway is going to look differently for everybody, but I think it is understanding self, you know, I think like having these conversations of like, 
starting with values, you know, like what is actually important to you? Um, what do you want, you know, your legacy to be? What do you want to represent? And um, I think when you start answering those questions, then it like just, it's fun to play with. Like, give me your biggest, craziest thing that you've ever dreamed about. And like, let's start putting the pieces together. And maybe you never get there and you get to a place where like, actually, no, like this is really important now. Um, and you pivot, but I think it's just starting. You know, it's just being willing to step out and like, I'm just going to try. Because sometimes I wonder, and I've been really thinking about, you know, this like, you know, fear of failure and fear of rejection or like fear of success. Like, those are really powerful things. And I think when we know our value and our self-worth and we can like sit in that and like not need and be codependent on other people to affirm us or to tell us we're significant. Um, I think that really that's where the magic happens. And then there's this freedom. You're like released to just go try. (laughs) But I think that like the stuck part is like just being, you're paralyzed, you know, it's like, I don't know where to start. Oh my gosh, if I do this, like what is so-and-so going to think? Like what, what if I fail? What if it hurts? What if, and I'm like preaching to myself because like, this is like how I coach myself every day, but It's just like these consistent habits, you know, if I get up every day and I move my body and I meditate and I, um, you know, meal prep and eat really well and like those basic necessities of life, my week will be 10 times better than if I don't do those things. And then there's a faith piece of just like, let's just be curious to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot in that. Um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot in all of that. Um, I'm going to go with the piece that you just said around, you know, if I, I get up and I move my body and I meditate and I nourish it with, you know, food that makes me feel like coming back to this, like the concept of the umbrella that I talk about. And even like as an athlete, if you think back, okay, if we look at your umbrella, there were some prongs that were really being nourished, maybe not in the most positive way, but like your training prong was like, yes. And like your, your food prong, you were like, yes, not saying that, you know, you were creating a way of training and eating that was right for for you in the long term, but it was right for you, like right then. Mm-hmm. Um, but then where, there were so many other prongs that weren't working right. and so it's okay for a little while, but in the body, the body would tell you. And as it did, like you, you couldn't perform, you couldn't progress. Like you got sick, you, you can come out in an injury, you lost your cycle. And then you speaking of it now, the what from what I'm hearing is like, you're looking at this like umbrella and you're thinking, okay, well, how can I like look after everything in it? So all my prongs, And when I do that, I know that, okay, I'm going to have a good week (laughs) or a good day because like I've done everything that I can to make sure my red umbrella is nourished. So my nervous system is like good. And we've spoken about this before. It's like if your nervous system is a shit show and it's in chaos and it's not good, you're not going to be able to do all these things that you want to do. And like, it's not your fault. It's just that your nervous system's not ready. It's Mm -hmm. like, it can't handle it. So I love how you say, okay, 
I need to move my body. I need to meditate. I need to nourish it. Like I need to make sure I'm nourishing all these prongs. And then I feel like I'm, you know, can go out and do like the steps that I need to get where I want to go. Yeah. And what's so interesting about this season of life is that, you know, we've now been in like self-isolation for six weeks and I now just feel like my nervous system is finally chilled out and it just puts into perspective how little I'm doing now and what it actually has taken for me to like finally feel grounded and what, you know, I was doing when I was training, like it was, you know, such a contrast. Um, and just that makes you realize like, gosh, more is not always better. And I was very much stuck in that mindset of like, well, I can still walk. So more, do more, more reps. <laughs> because you, you hear this, this dialogue too of like, be the person who does one more rep. Yeah. But for some people who are very driven and self-motivated, that was actually really damaging advice for me. Um, <laughs> tangent, but, but now just being in this place of like, okay, this is like a really solid baseline to start from. Um, feeling like far more time in the parasympathetic state than in my like, you know, revved up state. And um, so how can I create this as a baseline? And now from here, it's like where I do everything else. And, but I always come back to here. I, I love that. I, and I think it's so important because if you don't come back to there, like it's too stressful, mm-hmm. too, too much going on. And it's okay for a little while, but then it's not okay. And mm-hmm. the body will tell you, the cycle will tell you, the, like it comes up some way. Um, and so now... <laughs> Uh, not just in the last six weeks, but, you know, in the last four, five, six, seven months, you've gone on this journey of like building, rebuilding trust with your body. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because one, I think it's really hard to do mm-hmm. <laughs> if you've been if you've been building trust with it a certain way for so long, like you know how to do that, like through your training, but then it let you down. So then you're going to question it and think, Oh my God, I did all the right things. And like, I but then it just didn't work. And so there's a question around, well, okay, why? And then there's, okay, I finish and I retire what I was doing. And now what, like, how do I build trust with my body? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I officially retired. My last competition was last July um, back in Kamloops. So it was like super special Um, and felt really confident in my decision to walk away at that point. Like it was just, it was such a cool feeling of I competed and I walked away and I was like, I'm done. And I wasn't planning to be done, but it was just like I left the stadium and I was like, that's it. Like, I got the closure that I needed. And I think even just in that, it started to bring my body down. And that's really where it started. And um, man, like rebuilding trust with your body and letting yourself feel after you haven't felt your body for so many years is really, really scary. Um, And 
yeah i mean obviously like the practical things of like working closely with like a practitioner to like just help get all your like levels back in check you know like that's been a really integral thing but just finding new routine and new ways to be disciplined um that are less uh like elevating <laughs> you know like just even the practice of like meditation and prayer and like being in that every day like is just so nourishing and it rebuilds trust because you're finally like there's a stillness and i think for me there's like having to be a faith in the stillness like i have to trust that for me to be still right now is actually the best thing for me i don't i'm like so content with who i am and there's a like there's a worthiness like that lives in me now that I don't have to go out and prove my worth to anybody by going to do more. Um, and I think once I could finally shift that, like that's really where the healing has been. And that doesn't mean I don't love to train hard still, you know, like <laughs> when I like hop off here and like go to the track and do a sweet workout, but um, it doesn't define me anymore. You know, like I don't, it's not like a badge of honor of like, man, I like, just did this crazy workout and now I can't walk for three days. Like that, that doesn't hold value to me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's a couple of things in there as well <laughs> that I want to pick up. <laughs> Longest podcast ever. Oh, I know. And when, yeah, we're going to, we're going to wrap it up soon, but I just want, so there's so many, um, and so many of the women that I work with, uh, and I hear so many stories that, you know, they may have not have been an athlete, but they've been, you know, dieting, undernourishing and overtraining for decades. And they don't have any trust with their body anymore. And that's where I was like going with that. It's like, okay, for someone who did something for so long, uh, how did you rebuild that trust? Because this is the hardest piece is to step away from, like the belief system that we have, which is not our fault, it's created by the society, the culture that we live in, which is do more, train harder, eat less, mm -hmm. um, you know, that fictional belief. And that is the hardest. It's the scariest to let go of because then you're stepping away from what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you could just say like a couple of key things. I know you mentioned like meditation and prayer and like stillness for you is like how you cultivated trust again. Was there anything else that, because stillness in itself, people are terrified of just being still, of just allowing and receiving the information that's coming into the body. And I believe that's where it starts. Like, because if you don't know what's coming in, well, you don't know really know what to do. <laughs> So could you, yeah, do you have a couple of other things about like building trust? I think giving, giving yourself permission to play, you know, give yourself permission to try new things and really be mindful in those things of like, oh, you know, like that actually felt really good for my body today. Um, I'm going to do it again, or I'm going to like adapt it in this way. Or I think it is like mindful movement of what brings me joy? You know, like when I went for my first like couple runs, I'm like, okay, body hurts, but like feels, it was so heart healing. Like just the, like this weight lifted off and like the clarity of like that I had in my, my head and my mind. Um, 
to move my body in that way. And it was like, okay, noted. Like, I'm going to keep doing this because it's what my body needs right now. And not being afraid to like shift and pivot when it doesn't feel good anymore. Like, I know for me, lifting weights does not feel good right now. So I could be in the weight room like pounding weights and, but for what? You know, for what to like keep building, like building distress with my body or, um, can I actually honor what my body's asking for? Because I'm not it not in pursuit of a specific goal necessarily. Just the the listening and the feeling mm-hmm. is the goal. Mm-hmm. Is that you're just allowing, receiving, whether that's through stillness or just paying more attention to, you know, just how you feel or you know what this what your cycle is doing, like you've been doing right, like at the moment, and then moving your body in a way that makes you feel x y whatever however you want to feel yeah yeah, yeah. those two for, things for me right now that feeling is like i want to feel joy in movement yeah i still want to push myself like i still want to see results you know whatever that that result is but i think the underlying thing is like i want to feel joy in doing this um and just have like a posture of gratitude towards what my body can do and what it has done for me and the experiences that it's afforded me, you know, I got to like travel the world and, you know, compete in these high level competitions and like, that's such a gift. Yeah. And I think it's such a beautiful transfer over to all the other stuff in our life. Like if we can start to do this with just like that prong in our umbrella, which is like our training or movement prong and start to learn to allow and receive and listen and like, how do we want to feel? Do we want to feel joy? But those things don't mean that we can't push ourselves like, you know, to get results, to get an outcome. It's, it's great. It's satisfying. And we should, we should be doing hard work and pushing ourselves and achieving uh, as long as it's coming from that place of like, okay, you know, it's from love. I want to do it to feel this way. And I think that carries really well over to the work that you do now Mm -hmm. and helping people learn, okay, if you could take, and this is why I love training and movement, because I believe it is like a lever to do all this work, which carries over into the work that we can do in other areas of our life, whether it's our work, our relationships, you know, achieving our goals, whatever it is. It's like, if you can learn to allow and receive the information that the body's telling you, if you can learn about the body, build trust with the body, and then find a way to do it that brings you those feelings, but also teaches you hard work, discipline, motivation, focus, you can transfer that over to all the other areas in your life and in your umbrella. Totally. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have five questions to ask you. Okay, let's do it. Why do you train? Uh, I train because it's fun. Yes. Um, I love the idea of mastering something, practicing something enough that you become an expert. I love the connections, you know, the community that training can bring you. And self-discovery yeah yeah okay number two Mm -hmm. you have a billboard it's in times square it's going to stay there forever it's permanent what does it say on it Mm. you have nothing to prove 
I love that. And I feel like we could do a whole nother podcast on finding self-worth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What do you like that no one else really likes? Grocery shopping? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't like it. You're yeah. very right. Yeah. Okay. Top three favorite books. Oh gosh. Okay. Top three favorite books from the last year. Legacy. It's about the New Zealand All Blacks. Highly oh, recommend. really? Yeah. Um, all on leadership. Yeah. It's very good. Um, I really love memoirs and like biographies. Really enjoyed Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. And I spend a lot of time reading the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, because there's so much leadership insight in that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, last one. Yep. What three things would you like to be remembered for? Mm. Creating space for people to unleash their talent. That's the best. Yeah. Um, Being in service to others. And creating epic adventures. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. And you do. You do uh, your first one so well. You create beautiful space uh, to help people find themselves and to find their way. Uh, you ask great questions. And I'm so grateful that you said yes to coming on here today. Um, and I could speak to you for hours <laughs> about so many different things. Um, I want to thank you for sharing your story. Uh, there is, yeah, there's a lot in there and there's a lot to take away from that. So yeah, I'm so grateful that you came on today. Thanks for having me. I loved it. If you have any questions, you can connect with me on Instagram at Amy Kate Bow. I also write a daily blog you can sign up on my website, amykatebow.com. Thank you for making the space to listen today. Remember, take the long way home. Bye for now.